Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host, and in today's episode, I interview Steve Allen. Steve is currently works as a physiotherapist at the West Coast Eagles in the Australian Rules Football League. He has recently finished working with the Hockey Australian Women's Team, which he experienced an Olympic campaign. Steve has also worked at Melbourne Football Club for five seasons and currently runs workshops at the West Coast Health and Performance Clinic. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of running your own program early in your career and to not just rely on being a fly on the wall in high performance programs. Steve discusses the importance of self-drive and how he's seen this in most high-performance athletes and to work out what works for them. A common tendency in rehabilitation is to underload and the importance of building resilience for return to performance and to don't be afraid to get a second opinion when it comes to rehabilitation. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to improve your 2K time trial and gain a competitive edge this preseason, Hire a Prepare Like a Pro coach and join our individualized coaching package. For more information, head to preparelikeapro.com and you can join our email list for a free trial and a free presentation for a fitness for football masterclass. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this chat. We'll dive uh, straight into the very beginning of, of your career, mate. What age did you discover you had a passion for being a physio and, and, and did you know that you wanted to work in elite sport straight away or was it um, another population that you were interested in at the time? Yeah, it was probably a um, common thread to people in uh, our industry that as a young kid, I thought I was probably going to play test cricket and AFL footy yep. and go to the Olympics as a swimmer if I wanted to. And probably as I started to get a bit older and I realised you had to be good enough at any of those things uh, to make it to that level and I realised I probably wasn't going to make it there. That uh, um, the next best thing, you know, at, at that time watching on TV, you'd see the physio run out there or um, be part of it. So I thought that's what I wanted to do, mainly from just a sports fan perspective rather than... Um, you know, being really medically driven or anything along those lines. And, uh, yeah, then sort of as I went through my physio degree, it probably branched lots of different ways as you learn more about the human body and the physiology and the pathologies that you can get. And I wasn't really too fussed where I went with it. But as then I got towards the end of the degree, I I kind of went full circle and went back to wanting to be involved in sports physio. Yeah. And along that journey, when you were starting to look at different career paths, who were some strong influences to help uh, forge the way? Yeah, I've been lucky to have a lot of good mentors really over my time, all the way up until today. Um, Probably one that springs to mind, I was really lucky in my first job. And I remember it started, I graduated, I think it was 20th or 23rd of December, something like that in 2007 and then two days for Christmas and then I started 27th of December um, at work at a clinic with Ben Raysmith who is now uh, one of the probably world leaders in sports physio um, as the, uh, I'm not sure of his official title, but he's been to two or three Olympic Games, two or three Commonwealth Games with 
Athletics Australia, and he's got quite a senior role um, with athletics. And so I was just lucky that I got a job at his clinic when he was relatively young as well. And, um, you know, he was working as the head physio as one of the Waffle Clubs East Fremantle in down Freo Way. So, yeah, and I just stayed in touch with him all along. And then he did his sports physio uh, through the Trobe Uni, sort of as we were working together. And then he, he got a job at the AIS and he spent 10 or 11 years at the AIS and he's just recently moved back to Perth. So from a physio point of view, he'd probably be, you know, a mentor or a, someone that I still keep in touch with all the time and I still see all the time and, and there's a bit of a guru in, um, in his field. And there's lots of others that I've kind of worked with along the way. Dave Misson at Melbourne Footy Club, who's the high performance manager there. Sam Peach and Joel Ames, they were um, the other physios in my time at Melbourne. Chris Perkin, who I work with in the, in the West Coast Health Private Practice over here. And probably Dave Valley as well, who is a strength and conditioning coach who I spent the last couple of years with uh, working at hockey and we forged a, a really good relationship there. So there'd be a couple that spring to mind off the top of my head. Yeah. And, and with, with Ben, what, what stood out um, when you guys were, were working together? It sounds like it was something that you, you recognised he was going to be pretty successful and, and he was driven. Um, what, what, did you, you know, what did you notice early on in his career? Well, probably more so than anything was his the way he could deal with people. So he was booked out every day and he'd run an hour late, hour and a half late. He's one of those kind of practitioners and he didn't get stressed and it didn't really bother him. So he kind of said, well, this is the way I am and um, if people don't like it, they won't see me and that's okay. But the people that do want to see me will see me because they like the way that I uh, operate. Yep. So it was probably his care for people and how he dealt with people that stood out to me more so than, you know, any fancy tricks he had clinically or, you know, he's got lots of those and he's got great knowledge, don't get me wrong. But I think what sets him apart from my end is, yeah, that, that care and the time that he takes to get to know people um, to get the best out of them. Yeah, yeah. And... And when did you discover that sport was something that you wanted to um, work in and work in and start getting involved in elite sport? Yeah, so I always had a passion. Yeah, that I played a lot of sport myself um, yes. as I was growing up and even through those uni years I was playing cricket and footy at sort of local level. Um, and, yeah, probably uh, as I'd finished my degree and then started working with Ben at the Waffle Club down the road, I thought I really love this. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I wanted to, uh, to pursue. And, but I still want to do other things as well with my life. So travel was one of them. And through playing cricket, um, I suppose, lucky enough that you can go over to England and, and play cricket. So um, I made sure that I wasn't just sort of a workaholic. I wanted to kind of tick those boxes first. So, uh, you know, I did my, I did my undergrad degree and then did a couple of years working with Ben and so I could make some money. And then by that stage, I knew that I wasn't going to play <laughs> elite sport like I was talking about before. So yep. I thought, well, what do I want to get out of my cricket career? And that was to go over to England to play. So I went over there for two summers and essentially really lucky that you, 
you know, everything's paid for over there. You get accommodation, flights, uh, you know, a few pounds a week of spending money. The level's pretty low over there, so you don't have to train. So I um, kind of ticked that box of travel by travelling all through Europe during the week and coming back to on the weekends to England to play cricket. So oh, how good. I, kinda, I did that. And then once I'd got that out of my system and had my fun, when I was sort of 24 or 25, moved back uh, to Perth and, and did my post-grad study through the Trobe. And, and that's when I kind of decided, right, I want to get a job in elite sport. And at that time, I didn't quite have the CV, which I don't regret, yep. because I wanted to tick that travel bug. Yep. So um, I didn't want to go straight to post-grad study and sport straight away and never have a break. So I did that. And then, yeah, once I got back to Perth, I spent the next two years really knuckling down, which was tough where you're um, studying full-time, basically, and working full-time, basically, um, at two different jobs. And so I just thought I'd knuckle down for those two years and then I could hopefully set myself up moving yeah, forward. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Yeah, thanks, yeah. For, thanks for sharing that. It's, um, it, it will resonate, I'm sure, with some uh, physios and strength and conditioning coaches that are, that are on that path and they've, they've just, you know, like, like you said, most of us do start by playing and there's <laughs> sort of a reality check that it's pretty bloody tough to be the best in the world. At, yeah. Um, but the next best thing is, is helping those athletes uh, that do have the, do have the skill set and, and all that um, and helping them along their journey. And, and you mentioned the importance of listening to yourself and listening to what you want to do by not just continuing down the career path at an early age, but also listening to the personal side and personal development and, and uh, the fun that you can get out of traveling and, and still playing sport. Um, yep. Was that something that you just listened to your gut when you're making that decision, sort of a crossroads decision, or did some peers help you with that, family, uh, mentors like Ben, or, yeah, did you just sort of listen to your gut and, and went with the flow, so to speak? Yeah, listen to my gut. I always knew that travel was something that I wanted to do, and I knew really that cricket was probably that pathway that I'd be able to take, yep. um, which is pretty unique, really. You, you don't have to be you know, a test cricketer to be able to go and do that. Um, so, I, yeah, I was lucky that I played cricket and, yeah, I, wanted, I knew I wanted to tick that box. But by the same token, probably by the way that my parents had raised me, I suppose, is that I knew that you couldn't live that lifestyle forever. So I knew then there would be a time that I'd, I'd want to settle down. So, yeah, to answer your question, it's probably more myself. I kind of knew that I, I wanted to go down that pathway. Yeah, yeah, and then coming back, you, um, it sounded like you you, you um, put yourself out there and tried to apply for some jobs and realised how competitive the industry was and then you, you started this focus of, okay, I'm not going to knuckle down now and get to work and, and, and almost play a bit of catch-up. Take yep. us through, um, was there a three-year plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan, or was it simply just getting to hard work and, and speaking to those about who, who have sort of left clues through success of getting into sport? Um, yeah. Take us through how your mindset when you came back and um, what type of work you were doing as well. Yeah. So, yeah, the mindset was definitely hard work. And realistically, at that time, which was about 2011, 12 kind of um, period, you probably weren't going to get a job in elite level sport without having done your postgrad sports physiotherapy. So, that was probably my main driver was to to get that box ticked over that two-year period um 
And whilst I was doing that, when I mentioned before I was working two jobs, so I was working part-time in a private practice in Fremantle and and then at nights I was the head physio for East Perth Footy Club, which is in the Waffle. And at that time they were the Eagles Reserves uh, side. So I was lucky really that when I got back from England, their previous head physio had got a job at North Melbourne Footy Club and I'd worked with him in the clinic in Fremantle. So I kind of fell into that job really and they happened to be aligned with the Eagles, which kind of then got me exposed to that higher level um, sport where I'd come into the Eagles once a week really as part of my um, uh, prac work that I was doing through Latrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of exposed that way. Yeah. But then I was still running the show, so to speak, at a lower level where you could make your own mistakes and learn how to organise a program and speak to doctors and surgeons and organise all that sort of stuff. And then in the private side of it, some of that was uh, chronic pain. So it really made me, even though I didn't particularly enjoy it because it's really anyone who's worked in chronic pain would know it can be tiring and difficult, but I'm glad looking back that I did it because it made me a far better practitioner. So, yeah, that's how I kind of spent those couple of years. It was very busy. Yeah, it sounds like it. um, There's plenty of hats going on there, but all all great um, things to develop your craft. Um, The day that you spent in the West Coast program, take us through sort of um, how how did you, like what would be a typical day? Was it more fly-on-the-wall stuff? Was it assisting with rehab? Were there um, some roles and responsibilities that you had or was it more just sort of uh, case by case depending on what was going on in the day? Yeah, there, there were no real responsibilities. They, they, they had a great program uh, back then and they still do today, which I've just started at. But, um, yeah, they had a great program back then. So it was uh, part of it was there for them to help me really be a bit of a fly on the wall on Mondays. So, you know, to summarise it I suppose for you and keep it relatively brief their players in the reserves would play at East Perth with me on the weekend I'd do a bit of a handover back to the Eagles medical staff um, you know after that on the Saturday night and then I'd come in on the Monday and kind of watch them the doctors physios assess what they thought about the injury I suppose Um, and then I'd help out like a lot of prac students do whether it's S&C or physio, whether it's strapping ankles in a physio sense or helping with the screening or being an extra in a rehab drill or those kind of things. Um, so they were really good at accommodating me and trying to help me, but by the same token, you know, I wasn't working there or I didn't have many decision-making kind of capabilities. Yeah, and, we, and through that experience, if you didn't have it, how much were you gaining from seeing that environment? Being yeah. The top end do it. I think that's a it's a great question because there's for younger practitioners out there you can go one of two ways and it's probably in my opinion um, now that I've been through that pathway you don't want to get stuck kind of being a fly on the wall and in a professional sport mm. because I think you probably gain a bit more out of the lower level where whether it's amateur or sub elite because you're running the show there you're making your own mistakes and like i said earlier you're the one organizing the scans or speaking to the surgeons or going into the surgery um liaising with the snc you've got skin in the game 
I'd call it. So I would probably recommend that a bit more than simply uh, being at a professional sport and doing the menial tasks. And there's definitely a role for that if you're doing both, though. So what I got out of it was great because I could see everything that they would do at that level. But I think if you get stuck down that pathway, probably not as good for you where you're just watching and you're not actually doing. Yeah, that's the my opinion. of your development um, yeah. is a little bit lower than when you're constantly being challenged through making decisions. Yeah. But I think in a perfect world, which is really difficult to do, a combination of both yep. is great. Yep. So you get to see a bit of what happens at the elite level and then, yeah, you get to run your own show at the lower level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both, yeah, both are critical and, and then... Um, like you said, being able to implement that in a semi-professional environment it can be a challenge. Uh, you're not having the same time and access to the players. Um, That's right. That, that, that head physio role, um, how was that going into sort of a leadership type of position, um, coming back into the country and then stepping into that? How did you find it from, I guess, managing? Yeah, I really, I really loved it. Um, it's, it's something that I probably still aspire to. I'm doing a um, a sports management degree as well at the moment through Deakin. So it's always something that I've aspired to. And, yeah, looking back now, I'm sure I made lots of mistakes <laughs> doing it. Um, but, yeah, it just gave me the opportunity to be in the deep end a bit and, and then get exposed to other practitioners, I suppose, that you wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. And then also learning how to, um, I suppose, Programming is one thing in a practitioner or clinical sense, but then also programming from a wider perspective of, you know, how does this week look um, when we know that three-quarters of the squad have been digging holes um, at work um, because it's been a, most of them are tradies and for whatever reason the building's taken off or whatever, like sort of analysing things from that bigger perspective and chatting about that with coaches is probably what I found most beneficial. Yeah. And how much has the like, performance medical team changed since then, uh, practitioner team point of view? At the, like at the Eagles or? Yeah, well, at, sort of at state league level and then also at Eagles when you were uh, uh, spending a day there. How different yeah. is it to now? Uh, well, I think at the state league level, it probably hasn't changed that much. <laughs> because realistically funding never changes at that level um, that they can spend on, on people like physios and S&C staff. So they have a lot of students um, working there. And I've just started again or just started at the Eagles. So like I said a bit before, it, like most clubs or organisations in general, took a bit of a, a downturn through COVID and a lot of people had either lost their jobs or had smaller roles where hopefully the industry of sport in general, not just football, is starting to come out of that now where it's still not what it was in 2018 or 17 when it was getting really big. Mm. But, for example, we've now got three physios again where for the previous few years there's only been two. Um, the S&C staff had kind of been spread a bit more thinly in in roles between the men's and the women's programs where it's starting to move back more now to where you can have roles with just the men or just the women. So, yep. yeah, hopefully we're sort of getting back to normal. 
or to what it was in 17 and 18, 19. Um, but I think it'll probably still take another couple of years to get right back there. Yeah. And you mentioned um, like the referral into the, 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 I think it was East Fremantle where you've got physio role. Um, for those physios listening that are working in a clinic, um, what did you do anything particularly deliberate to you know showcase your skill sets to other physios or was it just the fact that you had a busy practice do you think that you had respect from that physio and have trust from that physio that he referred you to the program or did you do things outside of the clinic to sort of form you know forge a relationship yeah um, take us through so, for physios that are working in the clinic but are finding it challenging to get a foot in the door yeah. at a club yeah um, what are some ways that you can so well how i did i was lucky again so when i got back um from England at that time that I was kind of the only person in Perth that had some foot, footy experience and wanted it. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had got back and my experience up until then with Ben at East Fremantle had been um, I, I was the Colts physio and he was the senior physio. And then yep. as he kind of uh, was doing his post-grad study, um, it, we kind of shared the senior role a bit at East Freo. He was still the definitely above me, but I would I was working with the senior squad and we kind of shared it 50-50. And then, you know, another younger physio um, started doing the Colts. Mm-hmm. So when I moved back, I'd had that experience of a couple of years. And, and I should say as well, when I was here over summers in Australia, I still went down to the footy club over summer and did pre-season with East Fremantle. So oh, I think right. I had four or five years there in total. So I was never totally out of it and I was still kind of part of the club, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, when I got back and that role at East Perth came up, it kind of just fit that I was probably suitably qualified for that job yeah. at that stage and it all just fell into place timing-wise. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, really sound advice. Like you've got a, like you said, timing. That's where the luck comes in. But you created the opportunity through experience. So yeah, that's awesome. What so outside of the experience side of things and the knowledge um, that you've that we've covered that you've you've worked on throughout your career. What are some other ways outside of the traditional ways with degree and um, and working at in elite sport that you do to sort of uh, grow as a as a practitioner? Um. Good question. Probably listen is the number one thing, whether that's literally listening to podcasts like this um, or chatting to other people that are experts in the field. That's probably would be some main advice that I'd have. You you need to read your research papers. You need to go to your courses. I think that's probably a given that everybody does. Um, But I think... You can get so much more information, like I said in the Ben Raysmith example earlier on to your first question of just even watching how people do the things you can't teach. Yeah, um, I find that I that's the way I learn anyway. I get a lot out of that. Just oh yeah, that's a great idea. I could maybe apply that to my um, clinical practice or watch that. Why are you doing that? because of this article, then go and read it. I I find that's how I work a bit better than sort of aimlessly reading stats for the sake of it because you think you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, listen and watch and then do my own research from there. 
Yeah, and so it's quite um, transferable or deliberate to an issue that's going on in your workplace. Um, Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, awesome. Mate. That's a, yeah, that's great. It's sound advice. That's been a consistent sort of message for for practitioners that work in elite sport. Right, like you said, not aimlessly just sort of learning things, but it's very deliberate and purposeful learning that you can apply to better your your work at the, the club for the athletes. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned listening. Is that something that uh, apart from concentrating and, and focusing on it when you're listening to a podcast, um, is, is that something that you've worked on in terms of how to absorb information, whether it be reporting or journaling or um, like talk us, or is it maybe teaching to, to other practitioners? Uh, how do you make the most of that information when you're trying to work, get better at a specific craft? All right. No, I think I'm actually quite lucky that um, I can, when I listen, so if I'm at the gym or walking a dog or something along those lines, quite relaxed. Uh, That's when I listen to most um, podcasts. And they're not all clinical. I just like listening to different sports people about leadership or whatever it might be. And so I don't really write a hell of a lot down most of the time um, because in a way it's a bit nerdy, but it could be my relaxing time. So, But I've got, I suppose, an ability to remember quite a bit from those. So then if I you know, want to look up a particular article or a stat or whatever it might be, I'll, I'll think to go and do that when I get home. Yep. So that's kind of how I go about it, yeah. Yep. And then for the athletes that are listening in, uh, what are some things that you've noticed that top-end athletes do really well? It doesn't have to be from a prevention point of view, but um, when you're working with a new athlete, do, do you get a sense of, like, oh, this guy or this girl has got what it takes to be a high performer? Definitely. And something that... I probably learnt and evolved over the years, sort of working, you know, 15 years now and sounding old in sport and probably the last 10 close to full time um, is that they've got to be self-driven or find a way to be self-driven. And that might take a few years in the system of pro sport for an athlete to figure out how to go about that because it is different to everyone. So I've seen it when, you know, people come in and they are going to tag the best player and they'll try and do everything that the best player at the club does. But that best player has been in the system for eight years and can physically take it. And then this poor young kid gets injured all the time. Yeah. So I think it's having that drive to find out what works best for them and not for someone else. It's probably what sets the best athletes apart. And it's not just simply hard work. Hard work's a given, but it's um, experimenting. You've got to learn what's good sore and what's bad sore. You've got to learn what recovery works best for you, what diet works best for you. And it's our job as practitioners, whether it be physio, S&C, nutrition, psychology, coaching, etc. Mm. I think it the athletes that kind of get information from all of those people and then work out what works best for them ends ends up making them the best athlete. So, for example, that might be some people hate ice baths. Mm. So even though science might say you should do an ice bath at this time and you should do hot cold at that time, if they've experimented with what works best for them, then I'm all for them doing what they want to do. But where that can get a bit grey and where I think it doesn't work could be 
someone gets a bit lazy and they just hate doing ice baths because they're lazy yeah. and so they do nothing. So that's not the answer and you can't confuse those two um, tracks, I suppose. You have to find what works for you and then don't be lazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it's um, even if thinking at, from an athlete's point of view as a young athlete, that can be potentially a tough one, can't it? Because ice baths are uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so, but if you feel amazing from it and it allows you to prepare better and train well the next day, then you sort of need to go through that, that uncomfort for the performance benefit. Is that that's what? Whereas you don't, if you don't get the benefit, um, don't just go through the, don't do the, keep doing the same thing. Spot on. But find something that works for you. Yep. So if you don't like ice baths because, yeah, they're uncomfortable versus you don't like them because they make you feel worse, mm-hmm. then what makes you feel better? And if that's sitting on a bike or if it's compression garments or, you know, we've got so many things in the research that are one percenters, that yeah. probably the, the big rocks for everyone or how I think about it are sleep and nutrition, yep. that you just you have to get those right and then you can experiment a little bit with the with the other things. Yeah, and and now's a good time for to experiment in the off season. Um, no games going around, and even going in and start to play around with what works now, and then apply that to your practice match campaign. How, how often would you recommend a development athlete to try something and then reflect on it and recognise, okay, that's not. I'm going to bin that one. And I'm going to move on to the next one. Is it? three times is, is there a certain number or, do you, or is another one of those ones that's sort of once you get in a couple of goes and then go off your gut feeling yeah i think your gut feeling will tell you quite a bit but probably the main thing with that is you only try one thing new at a time so don't try ice baths and a bike ride because if you get worse you don't know which one does or makes you worse so yeah if you're nailing your sleep and you're nailing your nutrition and then you want to add other things in or take them out, just do one at a time. So, you know, right, this works for me or this doesn't work for me. And once you know it does or it doesn't, then maybe you can try something yep. extra. Hey, guys, CJ here. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with Jack for the last two years preparing for last year's NAB AFL Draft Combine and then this year's NAB AFL Draft Combine. Um, he's been absolutely amazing helping me zone in on specific areas of what I wanted to work on, which is my endurance of the 2K time trial and um, the 20 meter sprint. Trying to crack that under three seconds has been a massive goal for me this year. And I feel like that the work that I put in with Jack, he's just helped me skyrocket um, for my personal goals, which has been absolutely amazing for me. But it's not only it's not only what he's done on field for me, it's what he's done off road for me. He's been able to help me be persistent with the lockdowns that we've had stay motivated, prepare for massive events, especially the combine this year, which was done over Strava, unfortunately, that we couldn't get out to the Holden Centre and compete um, against the other the other prospects. But also the massive one is just recovering. He's been able to give me massive, massive influences on how to recover properly. Obviously, fueling for your next sessions massively for me as well. And the advice that he's given me so far has just been second to none. It's been really appreciative what he's done. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Jack. I feel like we've become a bit of a, we've made a bit of a friendship, which is always, it makes it easier when you're training, when you've got basically a mate that's telling you what to do. It makes it a whole lot easier than a, than a random coach that you've never really met before. So I feel like Jack's just helped me, helped me prepare for the combine as, as, as best as I could. And yeah, I can't appreciate 
the stuff that he's done for me and yeah, he's made me really tick some boxes in, in my own my own goods and hopefully recruiters and are happy with my improvement and yeah, that's a massive shout out and thanks to Jack. And then from a like a rehab point of view, what, what are some common mistakes that you've seen in the clinic and also in the sporting setting um, that developing athletes and also practitioners, I guess, can, can learn from? I think from a, if I just put my purely physio hat on now, um, yeah. rather than working in sport, I think generally speaking as a rule, and this is a bit of a blank, blanket statement and I don't want to offend anyone here, but um, Certainly over the years, and I'm guilty of it as well as physios, we probably underload people because we're scared of them getting sore. Um, where realistically the research is definitely moving, you know, towards be making people robust, you have to do the work. So part of doing the work is actually getting in the gym and doing the work. So what I mean by that is, you know, traditionally physios have been teased about giving three sets of ten for everything in, in the world, um, and I, that's probably a fair enough criticism. So I, I think not getting into that habit of giving generics um, and going down, if you want strength, then you need to set strength parameters mm. and it needs to be hard and you need to find a way to explain that to the athlete or to the person in the clinic or whoever it might be, even if they're little old ladies or little old men um, your end goal might be different, but if you're trying to get them stronger, you need to overload that muscle. And that's very basic, mm. but I think that's probably something where I've seen, or I've gone wrong myself in the early days. And um, when we give second opinions and, and whatnot now, that's probably a common theme that comes through. And as you get a bit more experience, you can get um, more expertise, I suppose, in learning how to overload one area without making the injured area sore, whether that's simply changing range or changing the exercise or the technique or whatever it might be. Mm. But I, I reckon that's probably the main summary to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, is, it, it does take an experienced practitioner and an athlete that has good body awareness to, to get that balance right. That if you go from being so conservative for quite some time to now thinking, oh, I've got to be resilient and build strength to then going the other end of the spectrum yeah. and you get injured and that was your experience. You're like, oh, that injured me going yeah. to, you know, working too hard. When I mean, really it's a, it's a process. Yeah. And, it's a um, yeah, gradual process of building up to be able to be robust enough to take that load. Yeah, yeah. And like when, when working with, a, with an athlete and building that buy-in, um, what are some important strategies to do from a relationship point of view and almost from an education point of view when working with, with athletes for the first time? Well, I think the, <laughs> the first thing, which is, again, really basic, but you have to be able to do it yourself. Yep. So if we use a clinic example, if you're in the gym showing or demonstrating exercises, only demonstrate... <laughs> what you can do and do well and what you think they can do and do well um, because otherwise that's not going to work. And then if you put your elite sport hat on, um, if you're working in rehab, something that I love doing and it kills two birds with one stone in a way is um, it gets your exercise done if you're running with them or doing an off-leg session with them. It builds that rapport that, yeah, this guy's not afraid of, working hard with me and I know that 
yeah, this is really bad. I'm injured and I'm in rehab and I'm trying to get reconditioned. Um, but at least I've got someone here doing it with me. And it's hard, but I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I love that you, yeah, you mentioned that and shared that insight of what goes on at the elite level because it is a simple one, but it does mean so much to someone. Like at the end of the day, rehab is probably one of the darkest places mm-hmm. an athlete can be in when they're isolated from the group. So by having that support, even even if there's no communication done, it's just someone sweating next to you and working just as hard with you. Yep. It does go a long way to, um, you know, from a mental point of view, to feel like you're, that person really cares, like you talked about, the of caring um, for those that you work with. Uh, yep. How often would you, would you tap into that throughout a rehab process? Is that something that happens on a weekly basis or is it just sort of, and, and then when do you make the decision on, yeah, I'm going to dive in today and jump in with them? <laughs> Uh, well, I try and do it every day, um, but I'm now 35 years old with two kids, doesn't sleep much, so uh, sometimes I get a bit sore trying to yeah. keep up yeah. with um, elite athletes. Building <laughs> yeah, I need to get more resilient. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess as a rule, I will try and do some of the session with them every day. That's amazing. And then if I'm too sore then i won't and and it depends on what level of rehab they're at so like at afl level these guys that i'm working with now you know i, I can't keep up with them every rep for example yeah, yeah. um but then it might be or something like that. yeah exactly so it might be then you're being a bit of a rabbit for them to catch and you're starting halfway ahead in a rep or you're doing every second rep or whatever it might be whereas at hockey when i was working with the girls um that might be a bit different because I can keep up for a bit longer with them. So it's more than just giving them someone to run with through that really grind if they're doing a 6 or 7K session that, you know, I might do 5Ks with them and none of the speed or agility or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, that it's a bit different. But, yeah, in short, depends on how my body feels. But as a rule, try and um, do as much as I can with them. No, that's awesome, mate. I love, love that you share that and you've got that aspect in your, in your armoury. It's a good tool for a practitioner to have. And um, did, you, did you see, like I know for me, I started doing that when I saw someone else do it and I saw yeah. it be successful. And from, like you said, from that relationship and rapport point of view, I saw how effective it was. So yeah. I, I stole that from another practitioner. But is that something that just sort of came naturally to you? You've always done it? because you, Yeah, you, I haven't always. So it's, when I was working in the waffle, you didn't have time to do it because there might be, well, there's 60 guys on a list. So sort of through training, you're often inside assessing um, injuries. When I started working in the AFL at uh, Melbourne, uh, was Daniel Cross was there. Um, and so he used to play for the Bulldogs and he finished his last couple of years um, at Melbourne. And probably to this day, he'd still be the best runner or, you know, be in the top five runners on any AFL list. So, wow. you know, he was just a great runner, so I'd watch him and he would lead them <laughs> um, rather than – and so, yeah, when, when I kind of started to do more rehab uh, in my role there, that's I'd join in as well. Yeah. And let, let's go back to the, the career journey. So going from spending one day a week at West Coast doing your, your, your post-grad and working at East Fremantle, how, how did that eventuate then to with yeah. Melbourne, the next career progression from there? Yeah, so I had decided really then, like I said, when I got back from England, I wanted to go down the elite sport pathway. 
I grew up in Perth, um, and in Perth there's only two AFL teams. There's one soccer team and one cricket team. So there were probably only six or seven full-time jobs um, in sport in Perth. Um, hockey is based here as well, which I ended up coming back to, but all of those organisations had been really stable for a long period of time. And um, at West Coast, my mate Steve Gravina, who you uh, interviewed a little while ago on, on your show, he um, got a job a year or so before. Um, and so I kind of looked at the Eagles for one and thought, well, um, you know, I'm not going to get in there. Uh, and then similar with all the other organisations around Perth. Um, so I thought I'm going to move to Melbourne and work in a private practice and um, or Sydney. I wasn't too fast. Yep. Um, but just do something different. I was at that stage in my life where I could do that. I'd... Um, I just met my now wife, but that was, you know, sort of eight years ago, but we could move around pretty um, freely. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd made that decision to move to Melbourne and I'd emailed the head of the AFL Physio Association, who was Gary Nichols um, at the time. And I just said, and I had those contacts through the Eagles and I said, I'm looking to move to Melbourne. If you have any jobs at any club, let me know, but I'm going to move anyway. And then... Just by chance, literally probably half an hour later, I got a generic email back to all of the AFL Physio Association from Gary saying that he was retiring um, from the head physio role at Melbourne Footy Club. Oh, right. And it just then so happened that I I was really lucky that who I did my post-grad with was Sam Peach, who I mentioned earlier, and he was kind of second physio um, at the D's. And he moved up into the head physio role, um, so did an interview there, and then was lucky enough to get the job. So it all wow. fell into place. Um, no good that. You couldn't have planned it any better, really. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I moved over to Melbourne. Um, the job started part-time, um, which was 30 hours a week. And I really struggled sort of um, to get a job in a private practice over there because – it's quite easy if you're, if you're established and you've got a caseload and you cut back from 40 hours a week to 30 or yeah. to or 40 hours a week to 10, that's okay. Um, yeah. You can do that quite easily. But when you're going over there and starting somewhere new, and it's no fault of any of the clinics that I was chatting to, um, they were sort of like, well, can you do every Thursday, 12 to 7 or whatever? And I'd be like, oh, no, I can't do this Thursday because training's then or we're flying to Brisbane for a camp here. It just ended up however we tried to do it. Um, despite people really trying to look after me, um, it was just two varied hours in footy. Yeah. But that's when then I just um, got in touch with the Trobe Uni and marked their post-grad assignments that I'd only finished a couple of years earlier. So I kind of supplemented my income from being part-time at the D's uh, with a job that I could do at home or I didn't, you know, I didn't have to rock up at a certain time. So I did that for a year and then after that in my second year at the D's, it became full-time anyway. And probably like most people realise 30 hours a week means 40. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of just evolved very quickly into a full-time role. Yeah. And um, what, what were your major learnings and, and challenges in your first full yeah. role in, in elite sport? Yeah, it was great. I loved my time at the D's and it 
you know, for that, I was there from 2014 to 19. So for those keen historians or these fans out there that have come out of the woodwork since they won it this year, that was the Rusey period where it was, um, you know, when I started there, we'd won two games and then won four games and then won seven games and then won 12 games, I think it was, and then won 16 games in a prelim final. So those first four years or so were fun, just rising up year by year, linear improvement, everything going really well. That's pretty well documented. Um, we got smashed, ironically, by the Eagles in the prelim final when they went on to win the premiership. Um, and, yeah, we, we were just um, – the bodies were cooked by the, how much of an effort that took for a relatively young group. And looking back in hindsight, um, they probably overachieved in, in that year with all those young guys who – you know, three years on, went and won a premiership, but it, it probably stood them in good stead to know how hard it was. And then 2019, you know, really fell away. And that that was no fun, working in an organisation then that's losing every week. You know, pre-season, we were meant to be flag favourites based on the year yeah, before. Big expectations. Yep. Big expectations. And then, yeah, things just really went downhill and it just wasn't a fun environment to work in in that 2019 year. Yeah, I can imagine. And yeah. um, throughout the pre-season, did it feel like it was a successful campaign and the boys did well over the off-season and everything looked pretty good come round one? In that 2019 year? Yeah. Um, we probably didn't. I mean, obviously we knew there was a lot of off-season surgery um, and so it was going to be difficult to be up and going early in the year based on how interrupted a lot of guys' pre-seasons were. Okay. But I probably didn't realise the extent of how difficult it was going to be of starting from such a low base. Yeah. And then you mentioned the players were burnt out. So was there almost like, because there was a linear progression of success in a young group, do you think after a while there's just a point where you do need to sort of taper back? Um, it's, a, it's a great question. And that, it's probably a psychologist might be able to answer that a bit better because there's clearly a physical side to that linear progression, but yeah, the mental side of it as well and, and just how tough elite sport is, what caused them to yeah, have the wheels fall off, um, not sure really. And it might just be that maybe they overachieved a bit in 2018 and then underachieved a bit in 2019 and then really they were always going to start to be good around this time. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. Journey. Yeah, it's just part of the journey and yeah. it had all been linear since 2014 and then there's a few sort of bumps in the road in that middle period and it'd be interesting to see how they go um, moving forward. They're a really mature group now with, uh, that are, you know, the reigning premiers. Yeah, and they've gone through that, that hardship as well to um, help improve that drive or, you know, you, you, you imagine they're not going to get complacent because they've, they've seen the dark times. So That's right. It's yeah. scary. Gary, next five years, eh? Yeah, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what about from yourself personally over your career when, when you look back, what, what has been some of the biggest challenges and as a practitioner working at the, the highest level and um, what are some learnings that you've had from a personal point of view from those? Yeah, I, I think the, that, that 2019 year was certainly very challenging just based on the sheer number of injuries that we were kind of rehabbing at the end of 2018 and all the way through that it just was hard. Um, 
and sort of no matter how hard you worked, it felt like you were never getting your head above water because then maybe a new injury would occur. So, yeah, yeah that was difficult, uh, not just really from a work sense of the nitty-gritty um, hands-on work, but just, yeah, I mean, it, footy clubs aren't a good place to be around when um, you're losing every week. So yeah. that's probably the biggest overall challenge. Um, uh, and then there's been lots of clinical ones over time where, you know, something's not getting better like you you think it should or and, and learnings that I would, you know, take from those. One is I can be quite hard on myself at times and think it's my fault. Um, but just to learn that time sometimes is your, your best friend. It just needs a bit of healing. And then two, don't be embarrassed might not be the right, right word, but don't be afraid to get help, send them to a specialist in your field. So if it's physio or specialist physio or get a second opinion from a different surgeon or, um, you know, chat to the doc a bit more or, yeah, just just get help when you need it and don't feel like you're always doing something wrong because more often than not, you're not doing anything wrong. Um, you just as you get a bit more experienced, probably now that I'm, you know, a few more years on, I'm more comfortable referring out to other practitioners when I feel things aren't following the path that they should. Yeah, 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 that's such a great advice. And it does it does take a bit of time to have that comfort within yourself to refer on, doesn't it? Because you sort of... Yeah, you know, and I think that confident. comes from to be comfortable to refer on, you have to know that you're, you're doing the right thing yourself. Yeah. So I know early on you start you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to send them to this person and they're going to think, well, what's this guy doing? He's got no idea. Yeah. So, and then as you start to learn a bit more, they're not going to say that for one. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, as you get a bit more experience, you know that you do the right thing most of the time and you just might need a little tweak or a little different idea here and there. And what about from the player's point of view? Like when you say, hey, when you sit them down and say, look, I just want to get a second opinion, has a player ever questioned question you on why why do you need that second opinion or do they just see that as you're actually doing the best by them because you're getting more people's brains into the into the program you're getting more people's experience into the program so it's always yeah. a positive response has there ever been a one where there's a challenge towards it no always always positive and it's yeah. probably the way that you explain it to um the player and it, it is genuinely around that of I think we're on the right track, mate, but I just want to um, get a second set of eyes over it. We see you every day. Um, so sometimes having someone else, no history, just sit down, have a chat with you, spend an hour, um, get a second set of eyes over it. So that's, that's the way that I would explain it to the athlete. Um, and not that I've ever thought this, but if I said to the athlete, look, I've got no idea what's going on here, um, you need to some. You need to go see someone else because I'm incompetent. Mm. You'd probably get a different response. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, and I, you know, I've never really felt that to that extent by by any stretch. I've always been, you know, I suppose quite confident in what I'm doing, but not arrogant. So more than happy to get help, and I love getting second opinions. But by the same token, um, back my skills as well. Yeah, and we, and we talked about challenges over your career. What about highlights and, and moments in your career that you look back fondly and, and proud of? Yeah, a well, highlight of career, definitely the Olympics. Um, really lucky to 
get a job with Hockey Australia just as the Olympics uh, or just before, really, they were postponed. I probably wouldn't have gone if they weren't postponed based on being new in the role. And then, yeah, with the COVID lockdown, everyone was kind of stuck in Perth, uh, so no one else could work with them. Um, And, yeah, it was great just as a sports fan, like I said, right from the start to be going to an Olympic Games and be in the village and um, get all the uniform, you're treated like a rock star, um, charter flights and food halls and um, opening ceremonies, all that kind of stuff was just the most unbelievable experience and I highly recommend to anyone from any field in sport that at some stage of their career, if they can get to an Olympic Games, um, you certainly won't regret it. That was just um, an outstanding experience and, and probably on a more personal level of pride there. we uh, I mentioned Dave Valley before. He was the SNC coach and we'd had a, uh, one of our better players that had missed most of the year with uh, groin pain and we had to work really, really hard to get her physically able to cope with playing up to eight games in two weeks. Um, and she ended up being arguably the best player, certainly in the top few. So that was a highlight when you look back and you from a you know a more personal level and you think, maybe I do know what I'm doing here. If uh, we can get someone who in January couldn't roll out of bed without pain to be able to play back-to-back games at an Olympic level and perform was a real highlight. So, yeah, I love my time there at hockey. Then and a more team level as well. The 2018 season with Melbourne was great, which was, you know, I mentioned how we linear progression. That was probably jumped up a little bit more than linear, but that was just so much fun when you're winning games when you weren't meant to. Not that I was playing, but be part of it around the club and we won a couple of finals. But yeah, those couple of things I think were, yeah, highlights of my career. Yeah, and on that, um, the player that you managed with, with- with Dave, um, with the groin injury, I mean, that sounds like it's an impossible task. Groin injury, eight games in two weeks. What, what did you guys do and how did you manage that? Well, we initially um, sat down, just Dave and I, and looked at what she would have to do. So he, he's a bit of a genius in the sports science sense with a lot of data on her games and her games against different opposition and he had it all mapped out of what she would need to do. Yep. So we kind of worked backwards. We looked at what are the Olympic Games going to look like for her. And in January, she yeah, she couldn't roll to get out of bed. Her groin was that sore. And her she was the type of person as well who had never been injured before. So she didn't she was very poor with reporting. Um, and she'd been sore for a, a couple of months before even reporting anything to us at all so and you know she'd she'd been a bit naughty really she'd managed with anti-inflammatory so whenever there was any kind of screening going on she felt okay um yeah so she was that type of personality which kind of makes her really good as well so you never want to beat that out of the athlete because she never wanted to miss anything um but yeah we had to see what she needed to be able to get to and then we had to work back literally day by day from there uh, and thinking, you know, time's getting tight and make the numbers kind of work to get her exposed enough to not just be able to play but perform. 
So we'd had a tour to New Zealand in uh, late May, it was, and that was kind of the mark where if she wasn't being able to play by then, um, she probably wasn't going to be on track to make it. So we kind of set ourselves little goals along the way that if she's not hitting markers, mm-hmm. that then, um, you know, it started to look pretty dire. And so we explained that to her as well. She was really interested in, you know, all of our little graphs and data and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, we went down that path of small goals and then we had that bigger goal in mind. And, yeah, it all, she got to play in the, the New Zealand games and that showed us then um, that she was going to be physically capable. But, but often with those long-term injuries, the player themselves, when they get out there on the field, they, you know, she said, I felt like I've never played hockey before. I was so far off the level. So I'm glad that we went down that path because she then had basically May or part of May and then June and most of July to just train unrestricted. So if you put that in a footy sense, that's basically a full preseason, three months of training. Yeah. Um, so it worked out perfectly and caused us a few sleepless nights, but it certainly worked out perfectly in the end. Yeah, no, well played. I mean, and great to hear, um, you know, physios and SNCs with sports science working collaboratively with the athlete. That's, um, yeah, that's a great story. Thanks for the sharing. Um, no worries. We'll go on to the, the uh, lighter side of the podcast, mate. This is a bit yeah. of a to know you from a personal side. So yeah. the, the first one is which movie or TV series has uh, impacted you the most and why? Not sure anything particularly impacted. I'm a bit of a documentary nerd. Yep. So I don't watch a lot of um, series, I suppose. But, yeah, I'll, I watch a lot of medical docos, <laughs> which is pretty nerdy, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, What's one that stands out? Uh, I think it's an it's called an hour to save your life, which is oh, yeah. it puts what we do into perspective. Where yeah. it follows, um, yeah, the elite paramedics and emergency doctors in London, really, in a helicopter, and they're literally doing open heart surgery on the side of the road to save people's lives. Yeah. So that kind of makes you think, oh, someone's got a sore hammy or a sore groin. You're not too fussed by it, but. Um, Probably Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings is a great movie. That's my favourite movie. <laughs> yep, yep. And what about uh, favourite inspirational quote or life motto? Um, probably not inspirational, but I kind of always say, if you don't like it, do something else. Mm-hmm. So kind of got to that in my time at Melbourne, actually, where if I listen to people complaining about oh, training's hard or you know it's too hot out there, I'd say, well, mate, if you don't like it, do something else. Like you're playing AFL footy, how good's this? And then I probably then started to realise myself that if I was complaining about something, then if I don't like it, do something else. So that's, I think it's a, it's a good motto. You can use it in a, in a sense of, um, you know, to put someone in their place. But if you actually think about what it means, you should probably live like that as well. And so, yeah, if, you, if you're really not enjoying something, get a different job or, yeah, find something that you like in, and use it in a positive way. Yeah, or even from a, your perspective, if you can just shift your perspective on that task. And, That's right. You know, bring some energy into the warm-up or try and feed yeah. off another player and the task hasn't changed but your, your perspective has and now you're having, you're having fun. Or like you said, with the recovery, just find what works. Yeah. Um, 
uh, like that. Uh, in your work life, on the flip side of that one, in your work <laughs> life, what, what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? Uh, scissors go missing. Scissors go missing. Uh, yeah. yeah, wherever I've worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You go to cut tape off and players take them to the change room, whatever it might be, scissors go. And I've never seen that different anywhere at any clinic or any sporting organisation. Yeah, it's like mini bands and lacrosse balls in gyms. Yeah, same same type of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Where do they go? Um, what, what about what's your favourite way to spend your day off? Uh, it's changed a bit now that I've got two little ones. Um, so now it's it's spending time with the family. Yeah. Probably prior to that, it would have been um, wake up, do some exercise on a you know on a Sunday, for example go for a swim at the beach um, and then a nice brunch with a newspaper would be the way to go. But, yeah, now spending time with the wife and kids uh, is lots of fun. Yeah. yeah. How old are the, the young ones? Got a uh, two-year-old and a two-month-old. Oh, wow. So yeah, nice. Pretty hectic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My guy's uh, Jackson. He's nearly three. Yeah, two. Oh, right. It's a fun age. But, yeah, uh, great age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah lots yeah. of fun. They start getting pretty independent, don't they? They do. <laughs> um, in a COVID-free world, what would be your favourite holiday destination and, and why? I reckon Nice and Dubrovnik in Croatia. So they're both similar in a way. I don't know if you've been there, but no. right on the beach, beautiful old European towns. Um, loved them. Yeah, okay, beautiful. Yeah, nice. When did you, when did you go there? Was that when you... Yeah, sort of 2010-11 yep. kind of period, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for sharing your journey and your story with us, mate. And, um, it's been massively valuable for myself, and I know that the athletes, strength edition coaches and physios that have tuned in will, will get a lot out of it. Uh, what, what's on the horizon for you for 2021? I know you mentioned there's a workshop um, yep. up and coming with yourself and Chris. Um, do you yep. want to explain that and then any other, any other things that you're excited about for the rest of the year? Yeah, so we'll just give a quick plug. We've got a, um, it's called the Athletic Hip and Groin that um, Chris Perkin and myself uh, are running through the West Coast Health and High Performance Clinic. Yep. Uh, it's in Perth on the 4th and 5th of December. Um, so, yeah, anyone that is quarantine free uh, from anywhere else all around the world listening, um, we'd love to have you. Um, we've got some really great presenters speaking you can check it out on the website at um, westcoasthealth.com.au. Um, yeah, from various fields, we've got uh, radio, radiologist, sports doc, Ben Ray Smith, who I mentioned before, Jake Lalich, who's uh, more of a, a movement style uh, practitioner that does a lot of similar stuff to Steve Gravina that you mentioned before. Yep. I'm just trying to give um, physios, S&C, anyone out there that uh, – works with people with hip and groin pain, um, lots of different perspectives on how we deal with it. Um, so, yeah, Chris and I are, are kind of running that course. And then, yeah, going going forward, I've, I've only been here at the Eagles for a couple of weeks now that, and we're just kind of right in planning uh, pre-season. And then, uh, yeah, really looking forward to, to getting stuck into the full-time role at the Eagles. Yeah, awesome, mate. It's um, yeah, congratulations getting into the Eagles. That's a it's a great uh, journey that you've been on all around the world, and then go over to, you know rolling the dice going to Melbourne, um, realizing that it was so competitive and, and stable in Perth in elite sport, and it's all paid off, mate. You're now 
back at the Eagles and uh, working there full time. So uh, it's an inspiring story and, and thank you for sharing it with us tonight. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Awesome. And thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of that uh, episode. I know I did. And, and uh, make sure to take notes. And if you have any questions, uh, hit us up on Instagram. Um, and we will also post the show notes for that hip and groin uh, workshop so you can join Chris Perkin and, and Steve. Uh, and that's coming up in a couple of weeks as well, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, December 4 and 5. December 4 and 5, yeah. So get in your spot. Uh, I know off-air, Steve mentioned, it is limited spot, so make sure to book in uh, through the website and I'll post that in the show notes. Our next live uh, guest on the podcast will be Josh Groudon. He's the head coach founder of King Consultant and uh, we'll be uh, doing his live interview on our YouTube channel at 8.30pm this Thursday. So until then, guys, I'll speak to you on the next episode. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes, whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that i've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member rama davies the strength conditioning coach at the box hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time 
um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.